You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of Scripture, Lord, both for words of life, uh, but also in today's class and last week's and next, um, sort of a mirror of who we are as humans, our human nature, our sinful fallen nature, and Lord, despite our missteps and our follies and our sin, uh, your covenant promises hold true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, so glad you all are here today. Uh, last week we looked at Jonah. Uh, today we're looking at Abraham. And I know it seems kind of reverse order to start with Jonah. Uh, but just a reminder, this course, this class rather, uh, profiles of failure. It's kind of highlighting... Uh, it doesn't have to be the Old Testament, but in my case, the Old Testament examples of those um, patriarchs and prophets and um, you fill in the blank of folks who, like you and like me, I'll speak for myself, not you, uh, we, we get it wrong more often than we get it right. And so with Jonah last week, we saw, um, at least for me, a mirror of someone who runs from God. Despite having a clear call, we often run from God. Uh, but as we mentioned last week, God uh, knows where we run. He knows where we hide. Sort of that Liam Neeson line, I will find you, uh, from Taken, if you remember that movie. And he found Jonah, uh, and he finds us. Well, this week we're looking at the life of Abram, or Abraham as his name uh, is, is called. And so if you have a Bible, I'm sorry uh, we don't have any to distribute. Uh, you're welcome to kind of look along uh, with me. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 12, this call of Abram. And, you know... Genesis 11 introduces Abram. He's uh, a descendant of Terah. And so there's nothing notable about him other than that. He, he falls in the line of, of Shem before that, and of course Noah. Uh, and Abram just kind of comes out of nowhere, as it were. And yet God uh, calls him. So we begin chapter 12 and verse 1, where God calls Abram. He says, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that is Yahweh, uh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So then from there we see Abram follows the call. He, he goes as the Lord had told him, uh, and takes Lot, his nephew, with him. And uh, it tells us in the text that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So you all have heard of Abraham before, Abram. Uh, you've been in vacation Bible school, I'm sure. Your kids have or grandkids. And like it is often the case, I've hidden my coffee here, sorry. Uh, often the case, uh, in vacation Bible school, you know, we explore, uh, you know, themes appropriate to the age. And we often, we hear about Father Abraham, you know, we hear about uh, Jonah and the whale, but we often leave out a lot of the kind of the heavy duty stuff. And it need not be the case, but um, I think kids often walk away, and I'm not talking about the Advents ministry, but in church uh, at large, perhaps in North America, uh, we walk away thinking these guys are the heroes. But as you read Scripture, you, you realize uh, they're not the heroes. It's God who is the hero. And so I'm asking you to perhaps maybe put aside, maybe, maybe not, what you were taught um, as a youth. And I think that the youth ministry here, I'm biased, as I was once a part of it, of course, uh, does better than that. We, we know that these, these characters are not the heroes, uh, but they are profiles in failure. So Abram, despite following uh, God in this instance, um, and he's true to the call, we know quickly it falls off the tracks, doesn't it? Everything goes off the rails. 
And so Abram and Sarah, uh, according to, there's a famine in the land. She's Sarai at this point, Abram and Sarai. Uh, There's a famine that drives them away uh, into Egypt. And if you'll recall what happens there, Abram whispers uh, to Sarai and he says, Hey, tell them you're my sister. She's like, what? Tell them you're my sister. They're married, but he's faking. Uh, he doesn't want to be killed. So if he's, he seems to believe that uh, the Pharaoh and the folks uh, in Egypt will uh, kill him if they're married, but if they're brother and sister, maybe he'll, maybe he'll squeak on by. It's a clever plan. I mean, you read these Old Testament accounts, they're, they're really clever. I mean, I won't say they're holy or righteous. And what's funny in the book of like Genesis, we, we rarely, if ever, get uh, commentary on it. Uh, Moses, uh, the narrator, doesn't say, and Abram really shouldn't have done that. It just kind of moves on. But you and I, knowing God's law, we see this. Uh, well, he's lied for one thing. He's, he's been dishonest. And then two, uh, he's not being true to his wife. Uh, he's, he's playing this game. And again, clever from a worldly perspective. Um, and ultimately, ultimately, the theme of this class is despite our mistakes, uh, and often in the face of them, God's will and God's covenant promises still prevail. And so uh, Pharaoh gets wind of the fact that, uh, in fact, uh, Abram and Sarai are married. And so all of these punishments come from God uh, because Pharaoh is going to take another man's uh, wife. And so eventually Pharaoh says, uh, leave, get out of here, please get, get out of here. She's not your sister. She's clearly your wife. Go and take her as far away from me as you possibly can. And so in that, uh, they leave and Pharaoh and the people in Egypt um, I won't say are spared, but they are relieved. Uh, this, this plague leaves them as well. So we see Abram, I mean, just literally in the same chapter. He's received the call of God to go to the promised land or to the, the land of his ancestors, uh, the place in which God has called him. And uh, we know the promise there uh, that he will be a blessing, his descendants will be a blessing. He'll make a great name of Abram. And then right in the same chapter, uh, he pulls this little uh, shenanigan. Well, as time goes on, uh, and I'm kind of flipping through, Abram takes up about uh, 10 or so chapters in Genesis. Um, There's stories about he and his uh, nephew Lot. Time goes on, and uh, God clarifies his covenant with Abram. So in chapter 15, if you've got your scripture, uh, God comes to, to Abram again, and the word of the Lord comes to Abram in this vision. He says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And so he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so you see there God is clarified. He says, Look, I'm not I'm not gonna bless you through your nephew, I'm not gonna bless you through uh, this other person in your household. Remember, household, that's a broad term uh, for anyone living sort of under the roof, so to speak. And so Abram does not yet have a biological son or an heir, but God says, You will. You will. And so Abram believes it. Abram believes it in this instance. Now we see later uh, some doubt perhaps coming through that. But what's notable in this chapter is God makes this covenant with Abram. And you remember this ritual that they go through to, to seal the covenant. 
And so um, uh, as the sun was going down, this is verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Um, actually, let me go back a little bit. Um, start in verse 7. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. This is where I was going to pick up. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be, there will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through uh, the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites." So what's notable in this, and forgive me for all the ites there, they're, they're there in the scripture, and I don't pronounce them particularly well, uh, but this, this ritual, um, from the way scholars talk about it, uh, you, you cut open these, um, these livestock, these animals, I know it's strange for 21st century ears, and the two parties making the covenant would pass through them. Well, you notice Abram never walks through. It's the smoking pot uh, and a flaming torch pass through. It's God himself that seals this covenant, uh, irrespective of Abram's intent, irrespective of Abram's uh, ability to follow through, uh, the Lord is going to make sure it happens. And he makes this promise, this covenant on this night uh, to Abram. Well, as time goes on, of course, uh, Abram gets impatient and he's wondering, when am I going to have this heir? When is the son going to be born to me? And so uh, Sarai, his wife, has the clever idea too. Uh, since there's no children, we've got to help God out. Uh, let's make this happen. And so uh, they lean over to one of their servants, uh, whose name is Hagar, who's from Egypt. And Sarai, this is chapter 16, says to Abram, uh, The Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children through her. And so Abram listens to the voice of his wife. It sounds kind of good on paper, doesn't it? Uh, but we know this was not ultimately a good thing. This was not the way that God chose to bless Abram's uh, descendant. And so, of course, Abram does as he was told by his wife, but not by God. And, of course, uh, he has a son. He has a son uh, through Hagar, whose name will be Ishmael. And so we see with that, and again, this is the mirror. This is perhaps the part you and I can see. This is where uh, the, the human folly is that we're going to help God out. God's made a promise, but God's not working on my timeline. I better get things moving along. And so he goes and has a son uh, with another lady. And again, we don't get commentary uh, in the book of Genesis saying he shouldn't have done this or should have done this. I think you and I, as we read along, we know this wasn't a good idea. 
Um, and you can just imagine, imagine your life for a minute. Imagine if your life had gone in this direction. Um, and I don't mean to point fingers, but we do this. We, and I'm not talking explicitly about having children uh, in this manner, but we, we do these kind of things where we rush God along uh, and we, we force His hand as if we could do that. And this causes a mess for us and for those involved. Now, I'm not saying a child is not a blessing and a good thing. And undoubtedly, God in due time blesses this child. He doesn't curse this child, as would be the case typically. Uh, God promises uh, through Hagar, through Ishmael, that they, he too would be a great nation, but not the nation that he had promised Abram. And so Sarai uh, continues to deal with this doubt. Uh, she's found laughing uh, that when God says to her, no, you will have an heir. You will have offspring. And she laughs in the face of God. So let's just stop there for a minute and reflect. Now, I doubt that you uh, have done this in your family. I won't call you out and say, has it happened? But uh, undoubtedly, there have been times where we've rushed God's hand. And we've said, God, you're not working fast enough. Um, I'm looking at my watch now. Lord, make something happen. Can you all relate to that in your own life? I mean, I think about, I'm I'm still relatively young, uh, and all the things that I want to happen, and I'm always looking and thinking, okay, Lord, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And the problem with that is we think that we're the agent of change. We think that we're in control. We think that we uh, you know, give the orders and God would follow. But we know theologically this is not true. And unfortunately, often what's theologically true uh, doesn't always trickle down into our heart and our lives. And so while I believe I confess the creed every week, I confess my sins every week and every day, uh, at heart level often I'm still operating as if I'm in control. And so with Abram, we see this, and with with Sarah, we see this uh, life of faith that's, yes, we believe, Lord, uh, but and still, yet, uh, sin persists. And my ability and perhaps inability to make things happen persists. And so Isaac uh, is going to be the son that's given to Abram. He's the one who's promised, not Ishmael, but Isaac. And so uh, despite their advanced age, God in chapter 17 promises to them that Isaac shall be born. So God says to Abram, this is verse 15 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become, uh, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and he will make, excuse me, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So there's God's promise once again. And in the face of uh, Abram's mistake, I don't want to call Ishmael a mistake, but it seems to be the case, God doesn't curse him. He blesses him too. And this is kind of an amazing thing. Even in our mistakes, God can make us good of it. God can still work with the raw material of our lives that are completely a mess. 
completely a mess. I mean, perfect example this morning, um, I didn't set the right chalice out for our chalice bearer. So we had one patent and one chalice at the rail, and I know it took forever to get through communion. And yet everyone communed, everyone worshiped. God uh, was able to make good of my, my little folly. I know that's a small, innocent thing, but uh, you can imagine how much more so the big mistakes in our lives that are made. And God still works in that and through that and despite that uh, for our good. Well, fast forward again. Uh, Abram eventually, despite the word, uh, despite all that's been said to him, he makes the same mistake. Uh, he makes the same mistake. And he goes out towards the Negev. This is chapter 20. And he literally does the same thing. He has the same clever plan to say, you're my sister. Don't tell them we're married. You're my sister. And of course, uh, the same plan uh, seems to at first work. Uh, but God speaks, to, um, God speaks to the king. He speaks to uh, Abimelech and, and tells them, look, uh, this, is not, this is not the case. It's not his sister. It's his wife. And later, uh, Abimelech uh, approaches Abraham and says, Why have you done this to us? Why have you lied to us and caused us to almost make this grave error? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham responds, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister. <laughs> He's defending himself. She actually is the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. I mean, you see him trying to justify himself. He's like, actually, on some level, she is my sister. Don't, don't be so mad at me. I mean, I was telling you a half-truth, at least. Again, can we relate to that? I mean, how often do we tell the truth, but it's a half-truth? How often do we uh, speak out knowing that we're not giving the full, uh, the full truth as God has given us? Again, Abram's just a reflection of, of who I am and perhaps who you are too. Well, God uh, spares Abimelech. Uh, he gave him this word. He revealed it to him. And so Abimelech, thankfully, out of gratitude, says, Abram, take the sheep, take the livestock, take the servants, take all the riches and goods, and get out of here. <laughs> we don't want anything to do with you anymore. And so the Lord, again, somehow works for Abram's good, despite his mistakes. I'm not holding this out as how you should behave and saying, well, if you tell a half-truth, then God will give you riches and livestock and all the things that you desire. But it's just a clear example again that God's covenant, God's promise is what's operative here, not our behavior or our ability to keep our side of the deal. Because again, Abram is, is not following in the way that God would have him. It's this dichotomy between, yes, Lord, I believe, and yet I still run back uh, to the mud. And so finally, finally we see um, in, in God's time that Isaac is born. It's not the way Abram would have planted Abraham. It's not the place Sarah, Sarah, Sarah would have uh, planted either. But God in due time brings it in their advanced age. Um, and he circumcised as Abraham and his uh, male servants were too. Uh, but Isaac had the blessing of being uh, circumcised when he was eight days old and not well into his uh, 70s. Um, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> so he's circumcised and he's, he's being uh, raised in this. And of course his name, uh, it's a reflection of, of God's sense of humor. Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Of course, this is Isaac's name's meaning. So God does, in fact, have a sense of humor. And so despite their distrust, despite their dishonesty, despite their lack of faith, uh, 
And despite their inability to do anything right, seemingly, God still blesses them with this child. And as you'll remember, the, the first promise given in chapter 12 was, He's not just your baby just to be thankful for. Yes, that's true. But this is uh, the line in which I choose to bless the nations. Through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. And as you go through the line, the kings that he promised. And ultimately, uh, ultimately uh, through the genealogy, we see this in Matthew, uh, to Jesus. Um, and so Abraham becomes the father, not just of this child, not just of Ishmael, this other child, not that children have, who have again with his, uh, his second wife uh, in the next few chapters, but through Isaac. He's blessing all the nations. And so this is our, uh, this is our ancestry, to, uh, in faith at least. I can't trace it uh, <laughs> by bloodline, but this is, we're grafted into this. We're grafted into the story. And so just as Israel would take this on under, um, under God's call to that nation, you and I are grafted in. And so our call is to be a blessing uh, as well to all the nations, not to hoard it for ourselves as we talked about last week with Jonah, uh, but to bring it out into the public, uh, sharing God's word, sharing his love, uh, to be a blessing to all nations. So what do we do with someone like Abraham, who seems to make uh, so many errors uh, over and over and over again? Well, again, he's not an example, uh, but he's a reflection. He's a reflection of who we actually are. Uh, dishonest at times, probably more often than we're willing to admit. Um, Rushing God at every turn that we can. I mean, think about your prayer life right now, just for a moment. Think about uh, the things and people, perhaps, that you pray for. And maybe your intentions are good and right, and maybe your will is in line with God. But I know for me, um, I find myself wandering in prayer and, and asking for selfish things. And you can imagine Abraham saying, Okay, Lord, when, when is it going to happen? And so I hold this out today, again, uh, not as how you should be, but perhaps as a, a reminder of who you already are. Uh, and I'm not looking at you directly in the face of anybody in particular, but this, this is who we are. But the good news this morning, this is um, somewhat of a sermon too, uh, is that God's promises to you, not that you've kept the Ten Commandments, not that you're in a perfect uh, Christian marriage or a perfect Christian family or a perfect uh, Christian vocation, but because God has promised to you. That's, that's what holds true. And so maybe Abraham, uh, as a profile and failure, uh, is an encouragement to you and me because we've made bigger mistakes even than this, if we're being honest. We've made uh, catastrophic mistakes, and God refuses to let us go. He refuses to change His mind on His love for us. That's who He is. Well, I want to open it up to you. What, what touched you this morning with Abraham, with Sarah, with Ishmael? And there was a lot that I left out, but what, what, what are you gravitating towards this morning? Yeah, so Coffee was saying through Abraham and through really every person, and both in the Bible and, and outside of it, um, we're all in the same boat together. We're all fallen human nature. And so, again, not so much an encouragement for how to be, but encouragement to say we're not different. Oftentimes we hold up uh, the Scriptures, and rightly it's the Word of God, but we hold it up as if these are all the heroes. And that's what I'm trying to dissuade you of. And I think you know better, you know that, but we need to say it over and over again. That Abraham, while he is the father of many nations, he is Father Abraham, um, he's not perfect and far from it. And theologically, we know that, but often uh, we, we kind of get into hero worship a little bit. And whether it's Abraham or next week Jacob or anybody else in the Scriptures besides uh, God Himself, we can fall into a camp. And this is grappled with in the New Testament. You know, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. 
fast forward to the 21st century, I follow the Church of the Advent, or I follow St. Mary's, or I follow X Church, or Tim Keller, or David Jeremiah. These are all wonderful preachers and teachers and, and, and godly men uh, in, their, in their way, but they're sinners too, and they have uh, their mistakes. So it's a helpful reminder, Coffee. Thank you. Anybody else? And it can go to Abraham or Jonah from last week or uh, more broadly. It, it's, a, it's a valid point, yeah. It, and again, Genesis doesn't give a lot of commentary on that. It's not like Moses pulls us aside and says, he shouldn't have done that. But, but you're right. He doesn't seem to trust God. He trusts, and not that he's actively distrusting, but I think he's been so used to, yeah, I've solved the problem myself. And I think many of us, that's, that's our recourse too. You know, I know how to tie my shoes. Thank you, God. I know how to put my clothes on. I know how to put gas in my car. Thank you very much. I'll call you when I need you. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a sad truth. But God's given me the ability for my fingers to move and to tie my shoes. God's given me the ability to have uh, an income, to put gas in the tank. I mean, we have to realize all, every good thing comes from God. And so maybe, perhaps the text is not explicit, but maybe God gave Abram the ability to go and do that. But I think you're right. He took matters into his own hand and makes a bigger mess out of it when he gets there. I can relate to that. <laughs> I mean, I can relate to that. Despite the collar, uh, if you just saw what was underneath it, you would know. Uh, my recourse generally is, I've got this, God. And just, you be, you be on the ready when I need you, but for now, I've got this. That's a horrible, horrible thing, but I, but I do it, and I'm sure you can relate to that too. But right off the bat, you're exactly right. Right after the promise is given, the first thing he does is follows uh, his, own, his own ways. Yeah. And maybe, you know, again, we, we can't say it, it's not in the text, but maybe God orchestrated this. Maybe the famine was there to drive him, and maybe it was to prove that Abram was a fallen man. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but it seems to be a, com- a common theme there. A common theme there, yeah. He humbles us. See a hand in the back there? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see an explicit place where he recognizes his sin. And again, you know, from a narrative standpoint, the, the Ten Commandments have not been revealed yet to the people of Israel, but... As Paul says, the law is written on our hearts. Well, we know right from wrong just simply because uh, that God has given us a conscience. And um, yeah, I mean, I th- look at any, any human culture. Every human culture, uh, even pre-existing uh, the Bible, has a law, has a moral code. This is a reflection that, that God does, in fact, teach us right from wrong. Now, the specifics uh, are revealed, but I think generally this is a general grace of God that He, he, does, he has taught us what's right and wrong. So I don't know explicitly if he ever, yeah, confesses that kind of sin and says, Lord, forgive me. Um, maybe that's a good point, too. Um, and rightfully so, we should be cognizant of our sins and, and aware of them and confess them. But let's be honest, even as we confess our sins, we're leaving things out. We're not fully aware of how dark our heart really is. And so even if I go through the laundry list of things I know that I've done and things I know I've left undone, there's a third category of things I don't, I'm not even fully aware of. And I haven't confessed those explicitly, but maybe generally saying, Lord, for those things that I, I'm not even sure who I've hurt today, please forgive me of that too. I think the point there that I'm trying to make is it's not our confessing our sins that in return makes God forgives us. God's forgiveness is already operative. When we confess them, that's when we're coming to terms with it and we're realizing and we receive that word in a way that actually uh, absolves our, our conscience, absolves us, uh, and clears us. 
But from God's perspective in Christ, it is done. It is finished. Even for Abram, even in time, Christ has not made his way yet. This was God's will from the very beginning. From before the foundation of the world, uh, Christ was the Lamb of God who was slain. But you're right. He's, yeah, over and over making mistakes and not even recognizing it. So, Don, I've got, you got a hand over here. Yeah, I'll I'll repeat it for the recording. Uh, Don brought up, you know, the Abram, yes, he's sinful and fallen. Yes, he makes mistakes. But, and there is a big but, the but of faith that we see in Hebrews, he is in relationship with God. And he does, um, maybe not actively in the way you and I would have it in our, our Christian framework, confess his sins. He does return to God over and over again. And we'll see that with Jacob next week, by the way. Uh, Jacob, who even more than his dad, <laughs> seems to be just fallen and uh, crafty and make his own way. And this is the story at Javik, where, where Jacob wrestles with God through the night. His continual relationship with God is what saves him, not anything else. So, Don, I think your point's well made that, yes, he's fallen, yes, he's a profile in failure, but for us as people of faith, uh, we're continually in relationship with God. We hear His voice, we heed His call, and we do obey. Uh, as, as the Spirit leads us to obey, we do. I think your point's well made. So the point is, um, in going to the Holy Land and seeing in person these sites, um, we're reminded that God works with real people in real places. This is not abstract. It's not a fairy tale. And yet, over and over again, He seems to return to that land and to that place. Uh, God is a, it's, it's almost embarrassing at times, a specific God, a God who, who does identify a people, a place, a nation, ultimately a person in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's so specific uh, that to the world it's offensive because doesn't God love everyone? Yes, God loves everyone, but through this, through this place and through this line. All right, friends, I think it's time for us. I see people trickling out, and I've got to go too because I'm leading worship. Let's close in prayer, and uh, we'll tie it up with Jacob next week. God, we give you thanks for this word this morning from Genesis, this continual reminder that despite our brokenness, it's your covenant promise uh, that draws us into you and your kingdom and your will. And we do pray, Lord, that uh, in some measure we we would repent and we would follow and be obedient, not because we're the hero, but because you are, and we want to be aligned with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.